Clause 1, Slave Trade. The first clause in this section prevents Congress from passing any law that would restrict the importation of slaves into the United States prior to 1808. Congress could, however, levy a per capita duty of up to 10 Spanish milled dollars for each slave imported into the country. This clause was further entrenched into the Constitution by Article 5, where it is explicitly shielded from constitutional amendment prior to 1808. On March 2, 1807, Congress approved legislation prohibiting the importation of slaves into the United States, which went into effect January 1, 1808, the first day of the prohibition permitted by the Constitution. Clauses 2 and 3, Civil and Legal Protections. A writ of habeas corpus is a legal action against unlawful detainment that commands a law enforcement agency or other body that has a person in custody to have a court inquire into the legality of the detention. The court may order the person released if the reason for detention is deemed insufficient or unjustifiable. The Constitution further provides that the privilege of the writ of habeas corpus may not be suspended unless when in cases of rebellion or invasion the public safety may require it. In Ex Party Milligan, 1866, the Supreme Court ruled that the suspension of habeas corpus in a time of war was lawful, but military tribunals did not apply to citizens in states that had upheld the authority of the Constitution and where civilian courts were still operating. A bill of attainder is a law by which a person is immediately convicted without trial. An ex post facto law is a law which applies retroactively, punishing someone for an act that was only made criminal after it was done. The ex post facto clause does not apply to civil matters. Clauses 4-7, to seven, Apportionment of Direct Taxes. Section 9 reiterates the provision from Section 2, Clause 3 that direct taxes must be apportioned by state populations. This clause was also explicitly shielded from constitutional amendment prior to 1808 by Article 5. In 1913, the 16th Amendment exempted all income taxes from this clause. This overcame the ruling in Pollock v. Farmers Loan and Trust Company that the income tax could only be applied to regular income and could not be applied to dividends and capital gains. Furthermore, no tax may be imposed on exports from any state. Congress may not, by revenue or commerce legislation, give preference to ports of one state over those of another, neither may it require ships from one state to pay duties in another. All funds belonging to the Treasury may not be withdrawn except according to law. Modern practice is that Congress annually passes a number of appropriations bills authorizing the expenditure of public money. The Constitution requires that a regular statement of such expenditures be published. Clause 8. Titles of Nobility. The Title of Nobility Clause prohibits Congress from granting any title of nobility. In addition, it specifies that no civil officer may accept, without the consent of Congress, any gift, payment, office or title from a foreign ruler or state. Emoluments were a profound concern of the founders. However, a U.S. citizen may receive foreign office before or after their period of public service. Section 10, Limits on the States. Clause 1, Contract Clause. No state shall enter into any treaty, alliance, or confederation, grant letters of mark and reprisal, coin money, emit bills of credit, make anything but gold and silver coin a tender in payment of debts, pass any bill of attainder, ex post facto law, or law impairing the obligation of contracts, or grant any title of nobility. States may not exercise certain powers reserved for the federal government, they may not enter into treaties, alliances or confederations, grant letters of mark or reprisal, coin money or issue bills of credit, such as currency. Furthermore, no state may make anything but gold and silver coin a tender in payment of debts, which expressly forbids any state government, but not the federal government, from making a tender, i.e., authorizing something that may be offered in payment, of any type or form of money to meet any financial obligation, unless that form of money is coins made of gold or silver, 
or a medium of exchange backed by and redeemable in gold or silver coins, as noted in Farmers and Merchants Bank v. Federal Reserve Bank. Much of this clause is devoted to preventing the states from using or creating any currency other than that created by Congress. In Federalist No. 44, Madison explains that it may be observed that the same reasons which the necessity of denying to the states the power of regulating coin, prove with equal force that they ought not to be at liberty to substitute a paper medium in the place of coin. Had every state a right to regulate the value of its coin, there might be as many different currencies as states, and thus the intercourse among them would be impeded. Moreover, the states may not pass bills of attainder, enact ex post facto laws, impair the obligation of contracts, or grant titles of nobility. The contract clause was the subject of much contentious litigation in the 19th century. It was first interpreted by the Supreme Court in 1810, when Fletcher v. Peck was decided. The case involved the Yazoo land scandal, in which the Georgia legislature authorized the sale of land to speculators at low prices. The bribery involved in the passage of the authorizing legislation was so blatant that a Georgia mob attempted to lynch the corrupt members of the legislature. Following elections, the legislature passed a law that rescinded the contracts granted by the corrupt legislators. The validity of the annulment of the sale was questioned in the Supreme Court. In writing for a unanimous court, Chief Justice John Marshall asked, what is a contract? His answer was, a compact between two or more parties. Marshall argued that the sale of land by the Georgia legislature, though fraught with corruption, was a valid contract. He added that the state had no right to annul the purchase of the land, since doing so would impair the obligations of contract. The definition of a contract propounded by Chief Justice Marshall was not as simple as it may seem. In 1819, the court considered whether a corporate charter could be construed as a contract. The case of trustees of Dartmouth College v. Woodward involved Dartmouth College, which had been established under a royal charter granted by King George III. The charter created a board of twelve trustees for the governance of the college. In 1815, however, New Hampshire passed a law increasing the board's membership to 21 with the aim that public control could be exercised over the college. The court, including Marshall, ruled that New Hampshire could not amend the charter, which was ruled to be a contract since it conferred vested rights on the trustees. The Marshall court determined another dispute in Sturges v. Crown and Shield. The case involved a debt that was contracted in early 1811. Later in that year, the state of New York passed a bankruptcy law, under which the debt was later discharged. The Supreme Court ruled that a retroactively applied state bankruptcy law impaired the obligation to pay the debt, and therefore violated the Constitution. In Ogden v. Saunders, 1827, however, the court decided that state bankruptcy laws could apply to debts contracted after the passage of the law. State legislation on the issue of bankruptcy and debtor relief has not been much of an issue since the adoption of a comprehensive federal bankruptcy law in 1898. Clause 2, Import-Export Clause. No state shall, without the consent of the Congress, lay any imposts or duties on imports or exports, except what may be absolutely necessary for executing its inspection laws, and the net produce of all duties and imposts, laid by any state on imports or exports, shall be for the use of the Treasury of the United States, and all such laws shall be subject to the revision and control of the Congress. Still more powers are prohibited from the states. States may not, without the consent of Congress, tax imports or exports except for the fulfillment of state inspection laws, which may be revised by Congress. The net revenue of the tax is paid not to the state, but to the federal treasury. Clause 3, Compact Clause. No state shall, without the consent of Congress, lay any duty of tonnage, keep troops, or ships of war in time of peace, enter into any agreement or compact with another state, or with a foreign power, or engage in war, unless actually invaded, or in such imminent danger as will not admit of delay. Under the Compact Clause, 
states may not, without the consent of Congress, keep troops or armies during times of peace, or enter into agreements with other states or with foreign governments. Furthermore, states may not engage in war unless invaded. States may, however, organize and arm a militia according to the discipline prescribed by Congress. The National Guard, whose members are also members of the militia as defined by 10 U.S.C. Section 246, fulfill this function, as do persons serving in a state defense force with federal oversight under 32 U.S.C. Section 109. The idea of allowing Congress to have say over agreements between states traces back to the numerous controversies that arose between various colonies. Eventually compromises would be created between the two colonies and these compromises would be submitted to the Crown for approval. After the American Revolutionary War, the Articles of Confederation allowed states to appeal to Congress to settle disputes between the states over boundaries or any cause whatsoever. The Articles of Confederation also required congressional approval for any treaty or alliance in which a state was one of the parties. A number of Supreme Court cases have concerned what constitutes valid congressional consent to an interstate compact. In Virginia v. Tennessee, 1893, the court found that some agreements among states stand even when lacking the explicit consent of Congress. One example the court gave was a state moving some goods from a distant state to itself, for which it would not require congressional approval to contract with another state to use its canals for transport. According to the court, the compact clause requires congressional consent only if the agreement among the states is directed to the formation of any combination tending to the increase of political power in the states, which may encroach upon or interfere with the just supremacy of the United States. The congressional consent issue is at the center of the debate over the constitutionality of the proposed National Popular Vote Interstate Compact entered into by 15 states plus the District of Columbia. The text of this podcast is sourced from the Wikipedia Foundation under a Creative Commons attribution, share alike license. The written text has been altered for voice presentation. To view the modified and original text versions visit thelegalpages.com. The content of this podcast is presented for informational purposes only, and is not intended to be legal or professional advice. The Wikipedia Foundation is not affiliated with this podcast.